Hi, my name is Harriet Richardson. I've been coming to Bridgeway since September 11th of 2022. Uh, I've come with the Donahue's, my very close friends, and they bring me to church. And I love coming here because it just makes me feel good. Hi, I am Jessica Culp. I have been attending Bridgeway since April 2021. Um, I was invited by Lydia Standish. Um, she is like my teacher that I work under. Um, she talked really good things about Bridgeway and how it feels like a family here. So I wanted to give it a shot. And um, I worked at Ellen Haynes and you guys sponsor Ellen Haynes. And so you guys came in every month and blessed our staff. And I just liked how Bridgeway is giving back to the community. And so I really wanted to check it out. Since being at Bridgeway, I realized how much I missed having a church family and knowing how God loves everybody and that the church family loves me too. God has grown me in a way of I'm actually serving in a church. Um, I've joined a table group and I love my table group. Um, and then I've been serving in the nursery and I love the little ones. So it's been a lot of fun in that way. Um, another way it's grown me is just seeing my boys grow and me be wanting to do more outside of church. So it's not just that one hour, two hours serving slash coming and listening to the sermon, but I'm actually studying the Bible with my children. And so that's really neat. God's been working in my life that by helping me bring the up there, down here, by helping people. I've always enjoyed helping people, but being at Bridgeway, it makes me want to help more, and I enjoy it so much more. One of the topics that uh, our table group has talked about was putting away our cell phone and just connecting with our family more. And um, we've been doing that. Like, we've been putting down our cell phones. We've been talking through dinner. We have been having game nights again. And so I feel like coming here has really given back family time, and it just it means a lot. I enjoy being in my table group. I love the women that I correspond with and that we just have, we really click. And then I also like the donuts. <laughs> Whatever happens, we gotta keep the donuts flowing. I think that's really the, the lifeblood of this whole operation. Anyway, hey, if we haven't met, my name is Joel Larison. I get to serve as the lead pastor here. And man, we are so honored and pumped that you're here with us uh, this morning because this is a big Sunday in the life in the long two-and-a-half-year history of our church. Um, because uh, you guys might not know this, but um, we um, have been renting here. We've been talking about this the last couple weeks. We've been renting here, and coming to an end of a three-year lease here in this old bank that we turned into a church. And back when my wife and I sat down and signed the lease three years ago, we were like, do you think anybody's going to come? And, uh, and here we are, and God's just been like so kind to us, and God's worked in us and through us in amazing ways as a church together. But we're coming to the end of that three-year lease, and um, there is no option to renew here. And so we are like thinking, like, what are we going to do next? We've been you know, banging our heads up against the walls, it feels like, for a year and a half trying to be proactive. Um, and then we've realized now that the open door that God has given us uh, the promised land for us was not so far away. It's right across the street. Uh, we actually bought that open lot right there on the corner of Hoffer and Elizabeth. We close on it next week, actually. We got a rezoning all the way through, which was really exciting this last week. And uh, we purchased 2.9 acres 
acres of land, and we're going to build the next home for Bridgeway Church right over there. And we're so excited about what that means uh, for us to invite more people into, uh, from our community into what God is doing here, uh, what it means for us to have a place where we can gather and scatter to be a blessing and to become people of love towards our community and to make an incredible space for our kids and our students. Man, we are so pumped up about what God is doing in this next season for us because we uh, had no plan B. We had no place to go. We were thinking, what are we going to do next? And God's just been so kind to us, opening up doors and showing us the way. But the challenging part of this is um, you can't just like wish a building into existence, right? Uh, and so uh, we, have, we know that there was a lot of resources that we had to raise and the people here at Bridgeway, we needed to stretch in our generosity and we needed to dig deep to make this thing happen to get in a really, uh, still to stay in a great financial reality. And so the last five weeks, we have been talking every Sunday and in all of our table groups about what it means to become people of God's future? What does it mean to become a person of deeper trust and greater sacrifice um, so that we can be that bridge to the future that God has for us as a church? And so along the way, we've challenged people that call Bridgeway their church home to jump in and be 100% all in with us and giving in three different ways that we're going to culminate our services with today. Um, the first way we're asking every single person who calls Bridgeway home to jump in is to give courageously. Uh, to give a one-time gift uh, between now and spring of 2023 before we can get hammers swinging. Um, it, that's the biggest gift that you've ever given to our church. Uh, we're unabashedly inviting you to look at your savings, to look at your stored resources, and to ask God if there was a portion of this um, that we can meet this moment that we have as a community of faith with. I mean, it's just incredible the stories that are coming in of people stretching and giving and courageous and bold ways towards this one-time gift. But we're asking everybody to think for you, what does that look like for you to be courageous and give courageously so that we can push against the big, scary down payment number that we have to move this project forward? We're asking also everybody to give consistently. I mean, there's 195 different families in our church that actually give monthly or give biweekly or give weekly towards just the general fund of what our church does. And we're asking every single person who does that to stretch that by a certain percentage over the next two years till we get to the end of this project. Uh, so people that are giving $50 a week, they're stretching that some by $25 a week. Or people that are giving $100 a month are stretching that to $200 a month. And we're inviting each and every one of our families that give consistently to, to sacrificially stretch that and to maybe go without certain things or to go or to, you know push off certain things so that we can do this together. Uh, we need um, our, um, our numbers look like we need $8,000 of more general fund giving monthly to keep our current ratios of how we're spending and saving and giving out to our community going. Uh, thankfully, we already have $4,000 of that given through some lead gifts, which is really, really exciting. And so we're asking you today, maybe you've never given to our church, and maybe this is what God's calling you to do today, is to give consistently in that stretch recurring kind of way. And we're also asking everybody to give creatively. And this is where um, it's, it's really kind of fun and scary all at the same time. But we're literally asking you to look at the stuff that you own, the things that you collect, that mint 
2001 Pikachu Pokemon card that you have. Um, and like looking at those things and being like, God, maybe um, this is why I have this, so that we can meet this moment as a community. And so we're, you, know, you can put down on the card a guesstimation of what it is or put down the item and just committing to give the uh, resources from the sale of that item. I mean, the stories that are coming in in this way are amazing. So we're asking everybody to give courageously, to give consistently, and to give creatively if you're a part of Bridgeway. Now, I failed to mention this a couple minutes earlier, but on that give courageously part, um, our big number that we're hoping to reach for our down payment, our collateral on the construction loan, is $1.25 million. Um, But thanks to uh, some families in our church and those lead gifts um, and early commitments, we already as a church, you guys, have $675,000 committed towards the 1.25. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. But it it is going to take all of us, not waiting for somebody else to step up, but all of us to consider what it means for us to give courageously, for us to get across the finish line. And so we've already had $675,000 towards the down payment come in. We've already had $4,000 against that $8,000 of that general giving that's going to happen through that stretch recurring give come through. And the stories of what people are selling and how we're getting creative are so cool. I'll share some of those later as well. But this is where we are. And today at the end of our services, we'll invite you, if you're a part of our church, to actually walk forward and drop off your commitment cards before God up here. Now, all that being said, I know we have some visitors here in this service this morning. And so you're probably like, I picked the wrong church to come to on Sunday morning. And I totally get that. But let me give a word just to our visitors this morning. I mean, I hope that you hear nothing and experience nothing today um, from me or from anybody that feels like guilt, shame, fear, finger wagging, or somebody twisting the screws on you to get money out of you. I know that is a that is something that um, the church has to push against a lot. Is that the church is just after your money. So I want you to here today, just take a pass on that thing we do at the end. Um, but this is what I hope you experience if you're a guest here with us this morning. I hope that you experience and you come to know that here at Bridgeway, we don't play church. We're not like a country club where the saints get together and sing the songs and nod our head and do that mooing thing that people do during sermons sometimes. You guys know the, you know the mooing thing? Mmm. When somebody says something good, mmm. It's a weird thing anyway, but we do it. We're not a church that we're just settling into that. We are a church that is obsessed with partnering with God to put the world back together. As we say it around here, we don't want to like just wait until we get to go up to heaven someday. We want to partner with God to bring the up there stuff down here and make Kokomo look more like heaven. So when Jesus prayed, you know, on earth as it is in heaven, we pray in Kokomo as it is in heaven. So we are going to partner with God and we are going to work hard to link arms with him to meet the moment and be emboldened by his spirit to meet the challenges in front of us and to bring solutions in Jesus name. That's what we're about. And I hope you catch that today. That is what we are all about here at Bridgeway. So feel no pressure to do anything if the God's spirit is not leading you and if you're not a part of our family here. But over the last five weeks, we have been journeying on Sundays about what it means to become a person of God's future. What does it mean to actually partner with God to build the future? Because God is not after people to just believe the right things and check the right mental boxes. God is after partners. He's always wanted partners, human partners, to partner with him, to bring the up there down here, to spread his love, his mercy and grace wherever people are. And so we've dove into this Old Testament person, this guy of the Hebrew scriptures by the name of Abram or Abraham. You might have heard, you know, Father Abraham had many sons, that guy, right? And in, yes, that was perfect. Genesis uh, chapter 12, we learn about Abraham and he actually hears God's voice say, leave everything that you know 
Leave your family, your nation, your tribe, and follow me. Partner with me. And through this relationship, I'm going to make you into a great family. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And you're going to be blessed, and you're going to bless the whole world. And in a consequential moment, Genesis chapter 4, verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 4, Abram says yes, and he goes. And he goes on this journey of partnering with God and listening to him all throughout the ancient world. And it's not just an up and to the right journey. There's moments where it seems like God is asleep at the wheel and, and Abraham's faith is, and his trust in God is tested and stretched. But God always shows up in surprising and creative ways to bless and to make sure that Abram knows that he is a good God. And so through all these challenging seasons like famines and wars, Abram's his faith is stretched. His trust in God is stretched beyond where it was before. And this leads him to have a different kind of priority. A priority that you and I usually have is more like, what is, what's in it for me, myself, and I, and those little ones that I'm legally obligated to take care of? That's what we think of all, often as our priority. But because of the way that Abraham walked with God and partnered with God on this journey of building the future with him, he was thinking about honoring God first with everything that he had. And he was thinking about, how can I bless and love and serve other people? He had this different set of priorities. And if you're here with us last week, we discussed this generational difference that this whole journey of building the future, um, how it shaped not only Abram and his um, family, but his kids, the next generation. And we learned about Isaac, who was made of the same stuff that his father was, and he wanted to trust God the same way. And even when Isaac had rough situations, when people would treat him poorly, he was still going to trust God to provide for him. And there was this moment where he was sitting down and having a meal with people that were, should have been his enemies. And he probably thought to himself, oh my gosh, that promise that God made my dad about we're a blessing to all nations, it was coming to fruition right in front of him. And so last week we discussed what it actually looks like for us to become people of love, to become people of blessing our community and the people around us. And if you look to the left or the right of the room this morning, we have these big boards that we put together. And people wrote on these little cards their, their dream for what kind of future blessing we could be for Kokomo. People put names of people they love that are disconnected from Jesus. People put problems in our community that we want to not just complain about, but we want to be part of the solution towards. We put our dreams about what we could be for the next generation, for our kids and our grandkids, and way beyond our lifespan. You guys should check them out before you leave today. It's powerful stuff. And this morning, we're going to move forward in the story of Abraham's family to where they are actually a nation of Israel, this great nation that God promised them to become. And we know in their story that near the end of Genesis, they get enslaved by the Egyptians. They get enslaved in ancient Egypt, and their whole life is building bricks for Pharaoh. They forget that they're human beings, and they just believe that they're human doings. And for 430 years, they're enslaved this great nation, this partnering uh, relationship with God in a nation, they're enslaved. And what's amazing, God hears the cry of his enslaved, oppressed people, and he sets them free. And so they leave Egypt, but then they go into this period of time in our Old Testaments where they're wandering through the desert, waiting for the promised land. They're looking to find the promised land. And God takes them on this journey of going through the desert to form their character because there's a difference between you leaving Egypt and Egypt leaving you and getting Egypt outside of you. So God had to work on their identity, their character, their dependence on him. 
And that's what we're going to pick up in the story today. They're, they're finally on the cusp of reaching this promised land that God has promised them generations before to Abraham. And they're right there. They're real close. But, you know, Moses and Aaron, who are the leaders over God's people at this point, they appoint 12 spies to go, 12 people to, like, do the first look, to do a reconnaissance mission, to go check out what this land that they were promised is actually going to look like. And that's what we're going to pick up today in Numbers chapter 13. So check out the screens. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and onto the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Basically, they need a Yelp review. Give me a Google review. Like, what are the Starbucks like? What's the best local restaurant? What's the weather like? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. We need a souvenir after this journey. It was the season for first ripe grapes. Like, they're trying to like, get all the deets, all the details on what this land is actually like. So Moses sent these 12 spies on this recon mission. And what we learn next is that they went on the mission. They come home, and they're about to give Moses this report of the land. And we're told this first. The spies give Moses this account. We went into the land in which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. That phrase, flow with milk and honey, is a Hebrew idiom, a figure of speech for overflowing with blessing, like gushing with possibility inside of it, just having more than enough. And this is what we're told this land is like, what the future that God has for them is all about. And just for a moment, like to build a bridge back to like where we are as a faith community here at Bridgeway, I mean, I feel like that's what we're experiencing right now. I mean, with this, this expansion, this new facility that's in front of us, like we know that God is like, you know, taking a lot of obstacles out of the way. And we passed our, um, our inspections and our surveys and we got the rezoning done and already some people's um, financial gifts towards this mission. And like we believe that like God has given us this awesome plan for our future It's like the land of milk and honey. It's gushing with possibilities. But we're told in the very next verse that there's a problem. We're told this, but, but the people who live there are very powerful. There's always a but. I made a joke earlier that everybody's got a but, right? The but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Termites, all these kind of ites, right? They live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. They give this report that, yeah, it's gushing with possibility, but there's a big problem. But I don't know if we really got this right because I don't think we're going to make it out. I mean, isn't it true that we all, like, in our journey of trying to figure out what it means to trust God, to walk with God, we all have a but really? I mean, you might have been experiencing this this last month as we've been looking at this journey and talking about, you know, sacrifice and going without so that we as a community can be a blessing towards Kokomo. And like the idea of sacrifice is scary. And you're like, but really, like the voices on CNBC or Fox Business, they're, they're telling me that things are going to be rough. I need to hold more for myself. And we listen to all these other voices and they're all telling us, but can you really trust God? But is this really going to be the safe move? And we all have those voices, we're just like these 12 spies that see something gushing with possibility. But it's scary. We're like, what are we doing? We might be in trouble if we actually cross over. 
I mean, they continue on with their fear-mongering about this, and they say this a couple verses later. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are, and, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. I mean, if you just live there, you're going to die. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. And this is the idea. This was like a, a Jewish legend of these giants that were like half angels, half men, and they would tear you apart if you ever came to them. That's what the Nephilim are. He says, in light of that, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. What are you guys thinking? We, we seem like grasshoppers. We're in trouble. We can't take this land because people are already there, and they're going to kill us. You ever have moments in your faith journey when you're, when you're trying to trust God and do what he wants, and you kind of feel as small as a grasshopper. You feel like you know, there's no way, like there's just no way this can happen. Can I just be honest with you? Can I be real with you? Like over these last two months as I've been trying to lead us as a church on this journey, um, there have been a lot of moments when I've had my like grasshopper lenses on. I mean, talking about numbers in the millions, it's not usually my, my cup of tea. It's terrifying. Asking people to sacrifice, looking them in the eyes and asking them, um, to do something courageous and not knowing how the response is going to be, it's terrifying. And I feel like sometimes during this project, I felt like, okay, I didn't go to school for this. <laughs> like, like, I don't remember this in class. You know, all these kind of scary things. And I, and I think we've all been there. You know, maybe we're in this season right now thinking about the scope of what God might be tugging on us to do. And we're still like, I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, these, these spies were thinking the exact same thing. So what happens next is that all of Israel, they like start mourning. They're falling on their faces thinking the whole thing's over. We went all this far. We should just go back to Egypt and build bricks because we don't even have a home now. They're freaking out. And then there are two brave young men that see the open mic, metaphorically. And they step up and they tell a counter story, a story not marked by fear, but a story reminding them to trust God and to trust what God has done in their past to bring them into the future that he also promised them. This is what we're told next. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land. They're two of the 12 spies. They tore their clothes to get everybody's attention and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. In other words, he's like, I know they're giants, but in this place, in God's economy, the grasshoppers take over and take out the giants. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. You know what Joshua does and what Caleb does? They cease this moment and they meet this moment of fear with boldness. And with a courageous spirit, you, know, you better believe they were afraid as well, but they found a way to push through the fear to the other side, to the promise. And they rallied this crowd of people to believe there was a different possibility on the horizon, better than what they imagined. And you can imagine from this moment as the crowd started to turn and they started to believe with Joshua that his profile starts rising up. And we learn later in the story that as Moses is passing away, he hands the baton of leadership over God's people to Joshua to be the next leader over his people for Joshua to be the one to finally lead them into the promised land. And so we head into the book of Joshua. And we see at the very beginning, God speaks to Joshua in a very personal and powerful way. And over and over and over again, he says this. 
He says, be strong and courageous. He says to Joshua, as he's taking this mantle of leadership, be strong and courageous. Now, in the Hebrew, that be strong and courageous is two big, powerful words I don't want us to miss this morning. This is what God spoke into Joshua, and I think this might be what he wants to speak into us this morning. He said this, these two powerful Hebrew words, rock shazak. Doesn't that sound fun? Rock shazak. It's like the jock jams of the ancient world. Like, can't you just hear a college football stadium and it's swirling around the stadium? Rock shazak. You just try with me one time with some chutzpah this morning and apologize to your neighbor, you know, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, rock shazak on the count of three. One, two, three, rock shazak. Ooh, that's good. That's pretty good for 10 a.m. This is what God spoke to Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous. Be strong, be bold and courageous. Trust me, rock shazak and move forward. So Joshua left his tent after this meeting with God where God spoke these words into him seven times in about two paragraphs. He says, rock shazak to Joshua. Joshua breaks out of his tent and he's like, I got to tell somebody that we're going to make this thing happen. We're actually going to cross into the promised land. And so he does this in just in verse 10 of the first chapter of Joshua. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land. The Lord your God is giving you for your own. In other words, get in, losers. We're going to take Canaan. Like, we're going together. Come with me because God told me that we can do this. And they're like, how do you know God is in this? And he's like, rock shazak. It's the only message that God gave me. Be strong and courageous. And it was this rally cry to meet the moment that could have been hit with fear, with faith. Rock, shazak. Be strong and courageous. Choose the harder thing. Take your fear, and instead of letting it be in the driver's seat, kick it to the trunk and trust God through it. You know, I was reading a couple weeks ago that at West Point Academy, there's this cadet's prayer that the chaplaincy uses, and it's something to guide them in their principles at West Point. And here's what this cadet's prayer actually says. May we be committed to the harder right over the lesser wrong. I love this prayer. May we be committed to the harder right thing over the lesser wrong thing. Isn't it true that so often the hardest thing and the right thing are the same thing? Isn't it true the thing that hurts and stretches is actually the right thing? And we have so many opportunities in our life to just choose the lesser thing. And it's not like, ooh, evil, wrong, but we just choose and we gather our lives around the lesser things. I love this prayer. It reminds me of the boldness of Joshua. It says, yes, it's going to be a challenge, but God's going to be with us. We'll rock Shazak, be strong and courageous and meet this moment and we'll do the harder thing. You know what I love about you? You know what I, one of the things I love about our church at Bridgeway? You know what I love about you and our faith community here? Is that we're a community that we are committed to do the harder right thing. And we talk about the harder things that need to be talked about. We invite people into our church where life is messy and complicated and we deal with the messy middle because we love them and because God loves them. That we have made tough financial decisions in our first couple years that have been easier just to pad our stats, but we want to have open hands towards our community and needs instead of clenched fists. My friends, I don't know if you know this, but we are a community that chooses over and over and over again the harder right instead of the lesser wrong. 
And we're going to continue to do that. And that's the moment that we have in front of us today towards this new facility and towards our future is to choose the harder right as marked by sacrifice and generosity. That is what we are called to do over and over and over again. And that is what we're called to do in this moment. So back to our story. Joshua, he tells um, these people, hey, three days, we're leaving. We're going to take Caden. And so, um, but you imagine people are like, you're not Moses. Like, what do you think you're going to pull, like, this crazy thing? You know we have to cross the Jordan River, right? Like, you're not Moses doing the whole, you know, Red Sea thing, parting the Red Sea. Who do you think you are? And so God speaks to Joshua again and gives him some courage and emboldens him. And he tells him this. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they know that I'm with you as I was with Moses. I'm going to, like, give you some cred, um, Joshua, so that people trust you. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now, there's so much going on here. For them to cross over and to take the land, they have to cross through the Jordan River, you guys. And the Jordan River is not like the Wildcat Creek, or somebody told me earlier, the Wildcat Creek. It's not like that. The Jordan River was this rushing body of water that was treacherous. I mean, this is the water that flowed from the top of the highest mountain in all of Israel right into the Dead Sea, the lowest place on all of the planet. So the water was rushing and it was strong. And, but they know they've got to cross over to get there. Now, a couple other things. There, he tells these priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. There were priests and leaders who their whole job was to carry around this ornate, heavy box that was believed to have the presence of God within it. And Joshua goes out his way and says, hey, you guys are going to carry the presence of God. And when you, you're going to reach the Jordan's waters and you're going to stand in the river. These guys had to be like, Joshua, you are crazy. I'm not going to be known as the guy who drops the presence of God in this rushing water. I don't want to be that guy. Joshua's like, Rakshazak, trust me. As you go, the water's going to stop rushing. And the scriptures tell us that's exactly what happened. God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant, these priests, they go first. And the water stops rushing, and they stand in the middle of the Jordan, and then all of God's people start to pass. It's a miracle. And what's amazing to me is what happens next. This is so not how Americans or Western people would celebrate this moment. We would just get to the other side, and we would throw a party, and then we'd forget about it two weeks later. That's what we would do. But Eastern people, these Jewish people, I love this about their culture, is they want to memorialize a moment. They want to mark a moment and a place because something powerful and miraculous happened there. And so this is what we're told next. After they start crossing, this is some instructions from Joshua. Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So as the water stops rushing, I want you to pick up a stone and bring it onto the other side where we're camping. And we're going to make this big memorial, this altar to remind us of the miracle that God has done. And my friends, these kind of memorials, they stand today in Israel. Check out this picture right here. This is what stones, these big stones standing looks like in Israel. Now, I know right now we're thinking that that sounds pretty good weather right now compared to what we're having, right? It'll be a little hot after like 30 seconds, but anyway. This is what still stands. And you know what's amazing? Is that inside of these memorials that are in Israel, they were there so they would provoke questions. They would provoke people, young kids and students, asking their teacher, what, is, what happened here? Why are these rocks here? And it's this beautiful Jewish tradition of asking this question of, 
It's actually the Hebrew word, masavat. Masavat. Can you guys say masavat with me? One, two, three. Masavat. Oh, you're getting all the out this morning, right? Masavat. And students would ask, Rabbanai, masavat, papa, masavat. Father, teacher, masavat. Masavat means what happened here. And for generations, they'd be able to pass down the story of God's miraculous rescue, how God provided, how they were strong and courageous, and God made a way for them. Masavat, what happened here with these stones? You know, what's amazing is that Jesus and his disciples, they pick up these, uh, this imagery of the stones. And Peter, who's my favorite disciple of Jesus's, um, because he's the guy who, like, says something and he's like, talk first, think second. I mean, that's like my life right there. My wife could attest to it. Um, but Peter, in his New Testament letter, letter writing to some early Christians, uh, he picks up this image of these stones in a couple ways. He says this. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. He's perking up their memory. Remember those stones on the other side of the Jordan? He goes, you're one of those stones now. You're a living stone to tell a story of God's faithfulness. And he continues on with the same thought in the next chapter, and he says this. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You guys picking up what Peter's putting down here? This is so powerful. Peter calls you and I living stones, and we should be ready to give an account in other words, our lives should provoke that powerful question, Masavat, what happened here? Because of what Jesus has done for us, our lives should provoke that question, Masavat, what happened here? Have you ever met someone who's experienced profound suffering, and yet the bedrock of their life is hope and joy? It provokes us when we find those people to ask, Masavat, what happened here? What is going on with them? My friends, has anybody ever asked that about you? What is going on here? They should be upset. They should be hopeless, but yet they're not. They're a person of service, of love, of generosity, of open hands instead of clenched fists. There are people that get dirt under their fingernails in the mess of life to serve and love other people. They cross boundaries that they're told they're not supposed to cross, and they love and include people that I didn't think we were supposed to love and include. Masavat, what happened here? Peter is inviting us to be able to tell our story and to be these living stones that provoke these questions, Masavat. And I think this is true for us individually, but I think it's also true for us collectively as a church as well, as a family. I'm telling you, it's hard for me to explain to you, but I'm in rooms all the time with other church leaders and pastors, and they just want to sit down at a table and talk to me. Because they just have that Masavat kind of question. I mean, you might not know this, but like the capital C church over the last couple years has struggled so much with the pandemic and social unrest. I mean, it's just been such a struggle. There's so many churches that, I mean, they're, they're not filling one service and they're, you know, they don't even have their kids ministry open again. They're struggling financially. They're just trying to hold on for dear life. And by God's grace, that's just not been our story. And people will ask me, like, what is going on at your church? And I, I don't have a ton of great answers outside of God's been so kind to us, and we just try to do the next right thing, even if it's the hard thing. Because they're like, wait, you started, like, your grand opening was the week that the world shut down? I'm like, yeah. 
Oh, wait, you, like, you, you gave $20,000 to help plant another church in another town in your first year? I'm like, yep. Like, you, you partner not with just one but two elementary schools in town, and, uh, you know, you plan what you're going to do with them like you plan what songs you're going to sing on Sunday morning. I'm like, oh, yeah. All these different things, you guys. That's the story that we're walking in, if we know it or not, is this Masavat kind of story. Because we're living stones. We are the memorial of what God has done to rescue us. I don't want us to miss this. So let me ask you a question. Who will be those crazy priests who walk forward with the power of God's presence in them to walk into a miracle? Who will sacrifice and who will trust God and be rakshazak, strong and courageous into the unknown so that we can build the future with God? Who will put their comfort to the side and fear to the curb and step forward? Just like those priests did as they walked into the rushing water, not knowing if the water was going to stop or not. I have just one challenge for us as we close this experience together and we sort of like move forward together. I have a challenge for us. It's this, just two simple words. Be bold. Here's my challenge. Rakshazak, be bold, be strong and courageous in this moment. Let me ask you this. How's your boldness meter lately? How would you describe your own courage, your own boldness? You know what boldness really is? Boldness is feeling fear and doing the right thing anyway. Boldness is experiencing fear, but not letting it drive you, but letting your trust in this good God drive us. I'm inviting you as we, as we give our commitments today to do something courageous, to do something legacy building, to be bold in our generosity for the future. And this is what's already happening in our church, whether you realize this or not. I mean, we're seeing people boldly give to this initiative before our commitment Sunday already. I mentioned $675,000 already given towards this initiative in early commitments. There's a couple looking into their 80s, and they came to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, we have one IRA left, and um, we want to just transfer it over to the church because we want our, these resources to outlive us. That's what they told me. That's bold. That's courageous stuff. I'm people selling a boat because they think that this is something that's going to be bigger than just a couple weeks in the summer for them. And there's families, working families, cashing in two full weeks of paid time off to sacrifice that time towards this. Families selling their old wedding rings because they have newer ones now to give all the resources towards this instead of them sitting in a jewelry box. This family's doing an online sale, an online store, just trying to be creative about ways that they can get their kids involved and get everybody involved so that we can just stretch to make this happen. This family has got a, a whole set, a whole set, the whole team of the 1938 Cincinnati Reds, um, you know, that it's mint condition, and they're trying to sell those baseball cards. Some crazy people are like trading in their car and giving the resources there, selling a Gibson Les Paul. People that have coin collections that have been sitting there for years and years and years, and they're trying to think, well, I don't know what this is. Maybe we can give some of these resources. I mean, this is bold stuff. The question for you today is, what's your bold? What's your bold move towards this? What is not your number, but what is God's number? What is not your safe number, but what is your faith? reality in this. That's what I want to invite us into this morning.
So um, at this point, um, you know, we're going to invite you. There's con- commitment cards. Many of you guys brought them with you, filled out. But if you haven't, they're in the seat backs in front of you or behind you. And um, our band is going to come lead us. And as an act of worship, because this is not a transactional thing, this is a spiritual activity, um, during this song, we're going to invite um, you, if you're part of our church family and feel called to do this, um, to come and drop these cards off right up here. And please just put it this side facing up so nobody sees names and numbers. We don't want any of that stuff. But we're inviting you to take these cards, to fill them out. And again, our, our ask is that you would have a number on all three of these lines and you would give in that way. Um, you would have something on that one-time gift line, something from our savings, that one-time gift that's going to push against the down payment that we have. Um, on your stretch recurring gift, if you're already giving, to put your, um, your um, expanded gift on the line. So what that looks like, the plus, what you're normally doing. Or if you're just giving for the first time on that stretch recurring, just put the full gift on there. Then your non-cash gift, maybe you don't know what something's going to sell for, but you can put the item just as an act between you and God to make sure that you are like committed towards selling that and to give the resources. And so that's what we're asking you to do as we sing this song together. My friends, this is a moment, this is some like kingdom legacy moment stuff going on. So what I'd love to do is I'd love to invite you guys to stand up with me and um, I'd love to pray for us. And the band is going to lead us in a song about how our God is the way maker. He is light in the darkness and he makes things happen beyond what we can do on our own. And that's what I want for us is to walk into a moment where we realize that we can never do this on our own, but together through the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting God, this is how we make history together. This is how we do it.